That's part of an opening scene of a movie called Lion. It came out a couple of years ago, nominated for Best Picture. It's actually my favorite movie of that year, much better than La La Land or Moonlight or uh, those kinds of movies. But uh, it follows the life of these two little boys, uh, Saru, five years old, and his older brother, Gudu. They live in western India in extreme poverty. They, along with their sister, are being raised by a single mom. The mom is a laborer. Her job is hauling rocks for pennies a day. And so these two boys, anytime they have an opportunity, try to help out, kind of adding to the family coffer. Uh, Depending on your perspective, in this scene, they were either gathering coal or stealing coal, kind of depending on your perspective. But they're going to trade that for some milk that they can take back to help feed the family. It's a very meager and very difficult life for them. And yet you can see from that scene there's a whole lot of joy in life for them. They love it. They love their family. The the world for them is this almost magical, enchanting place filled with wonder and discovery and adventure. And that's a big part of what childhood is supposed to be. We recently remodeled our basement and they even remodeled that that part underneath the stairs. And so it's this tiny little room and our six-year-old daughter, uh, Saffron, thinks that is the most incredible place in the world. Like She always just wants to be under the stairs, kind of like Harry Potter in, in his cupboard under the stairs with the Dursleys. I grew up on a farm and outside our farm was a massive pasture with forests and a stream that my brothers and I would love to explore. And we'd follow the stream to this, it seemed like this massive concrete culvert where uh, it would go under the road, the highway closest to our house, and we'd crawl in there and we would scream because it would echo, echo, echo. What was that place of wonder and discovery and adventure for you? Why don't you stand up? Everybody stand up and talk to somebody close to you about that place, the place of wonder, discovery, adventure in your childhood. If you are a child, what is that place now? I'll give you a, just go ahead. Yeah, you're doing great. I'll see you later. See if you can find a place to see if you can find a place to stop, you extroverts, you introverts. You can breathe a huge sigh of relief that that's over with. Good grief, scary, huh? Anyway, thanks for playing along. Uh, hopefully, you heard in the announcements we have some uh, guests out in the back of the worship center from Ingamokaboji Lutheran Bible Camp. Rod Quanbeck, the executive director there, is here to talk about that camp. For a lot of people, summer camp is that place of wonder and discovery and adventure. And if you've never heard about the ministry of Okaboji, stop by and say hi to Rod and let him tell you about some of the things that are happening there. Uh, they're doing incredible things for families and students and children. You ever notice how much time Jesus spends focusing in on children? How for Jesus, as he's trying to help us understand what does a life of faith look like, it's very often centered on on children. In Matthew 18, there's a, 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 a circumstance where some people come to Jesus and they ask him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a little child in the middle of this group of adults And he points to the little child and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will not get into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus is not saying children need to become like children. He's saying adults need to become like children. Like the way life works, according to Jesus, is we start out as children, we grow into adulthood, and then we become children again, which kind of sounds silly and weird at first glance. So 
What is Jesus actually getting at? We want to dig into that a little bit today. All kinds of layers to what Jesus means by this. Here's where I want us to go. Think back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, the creation of the heavens and the earth, and Adam and Eve are with God in the Garden of Eden, and everything is perfect until chapter 3 when sin enters the world. Jesus says, turn from your sins and become like children. I think oftentimes we have this kind of small, narrow understanding of what sin is in Genesis 3. It's this specific action of eating the forbidden fruit. So I want to read through a a portion of Genesis 3, and I want you to listen for kind of a a broader, expanding understanding. What is the sin in Genesis 3? I'll pick it up in verse 6. Eve saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? There's a lot going on in that story, but almost all of it centers around the idea of being lost. Innocence is lost. Trust is lost. Famous writers will say this is the story of paradise lost. Make no mistake about it, something has been lost and that is not good. Being lost is painful, it's scary. Just ask five-year-old Saru in this movie, Lion. His hero is his older brother, Gudu, and Gudu will go off for days at a time on uh, these work projects, uh, trying to get more money for the family. Saru, at five years old, says, I'm big enough, I'm old enough, I should be able to go with you. He loves hanging out with his brother. And against Gudu's better judgment, one day he says, Saru, you can come with me. Bad idea, Saru can't hang, he's too little, he gets exhausted. Gudu spends most of his time carrying Saru around. He can't even do the work he's trying to do. So finally he says to Saru, I want you to stay here on this bench at a train station. I'm gonna go do my work, you just stay here. If you fall asleep, great, but just don't leave here. Just wait here until I come back to get you and here's what happens. Take a look. Being lost is not good. It is scary, and Saru ends up trapped on this decommissioned train. And I hope you noticed the language as he's crying out, help me, save me. The train takes him 1,600 kilometers to the east uh, to the city of Calcutta. Doesn't know anybody in Calcutta, and nobody knows him. They speak Bengali in Calcutta. He can't speak that language. He speaks Hindi in the part of India where he grows up. And he, he has a name for the town that he grows up, but it's not the right name. He mispronounces it so they can't find it on a map. He is lost and he is scared and it's absolutely overwhelming. What he wants is just to return home. But part of what's fascinating is it doesn't take very long before his desire to return home is overpowered by his desire to escape the pain and the suffering that he's going through first as a homeless child on the streets of Calcutta and then as a ward of this orphanage that actually functions more like a juvenile jail. They spend some time looking for his mom, but there's, there's no hope for finding her. They have no idea where to even be looking, and so eventually he gets adopted by a family in Australia, flies on a plane across the ocean to this new continent, and for the next 20 years, Saru hides. What I mean by that, he's able to keep the pain of his childhood at a safe enough distance that he convinces himself that he's okay. 
but he's not okay. He's lost. So are you, so am I. Or or maybe a, a better word for it would be to say we are disconnected. In our lostness, in our disconnection, God calls out to us, where are you? Where are you? It'd be awesome if we had an actual audio or video of how did God sound? What did God look like when he's calling out, where are you, to Adam and Eve? I think a lot of people hear it as this angry parent, where are you? I can't wait to get my hands on you so I can punish you. I wonder if God sounded a little bit more like Gudu as he's looking through that uh, train platform and that train, uh, Saru, as he's calling out Gudu. It's this kind of this desire for connection. I wonder if the emphasis should be on the word you. Where are you? The real you, the true you. It has been lost. How do the lost get found? How do the disconnected get reconnected? Well, Jesus says you become like little children. Become like little children. Go back to where you began. You return home. So this gets us to the ninth grade girls choir and a big thank you again to the choir for sharing those songs with us. The three songs they sang talk about this process of returning home. The first song was, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Here's kind of my, as simple as I can possibly get it, what is God's desire? What what is life supposed to be like? Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We got one big circle representing God, a smaller circle representing you, me, all humanity. We are created for this relational connection with God. We're created in the image of God, a God who exists in community. We're created for community with one another. We're created for community with God. But then life happens and the circle is broken. The image of God is distorted, it's tainted. And that leads to disconnection. The second song that the choir sang was a song called Even When He Is Silent. It's based on a poem that they found on the walls of a concentration camp. Life happens and it leads to disconnection. Think of Adam and Eve. They have to leave the garden and you and I leave the garden in in all kinds of ways. It leads to disconnection from God. It leads to disconnection from self. Here's what I mean by that. It doesn't take very long in our lives before we experience the pain of rejection, the fear that maybe we don't fit in, that there's not a place for us. And when we experience that, we don't like it. And so what we start to think is, maybe I can create this new self, this false self. And if I am this kind of a person, if I do these kinds of things, maybe that will get people to like me, to love me, to include me. And so psychologists say by the time most of us are seven years old, we have abandoned our true self and attached ourselves to our false self. And it leads to all kinds of disconnection. Disconnection from God, disconnection from ourselves. And then we get to the third song that they sang, I Am His Child. How do the lost get found? How do the disconnected get reconnected? Jesus says, become like a little child. You move, this is the whole process of a life of faith, moving from childhood to adulthood and then back into childhood, reconnecting with the way things are intended to be. And a lot of people think the way to reconnect with God is I gotta perform the right kind of rituals or I have to behave the right way morally or I have to believe the right things in in terms of doctrine. And and don't misunderstand me, there's nothing wrong with rituals and behavior and uh, belief. These are all good and important things. They're just not the main thing. And and what God's trying to tell us is the main thing is relationship. We're, We're created for connection. 
And oftentimes we, we start worshiping the wrong things, thinking that's what's gonna make everything right, that's what's gonna fix everything. And so God will remove all of those things so that we see the only thing that matters is this relationship of love. It's not what we do, it's what God does as he continually pours his love into our life. And when we can attach ourselves to God's love, and we can believe in that and trust in that, put our faith in that, it sets us free to let go of our false self and rediscover our true self. I think this is what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter eight. If you lose your life, you will save it, Jesus says. If you let go, if you die to the false self, you'll be saved, you'll experience the true self, the true life, the real life that God has for us. This is how the lost get found. The problem is most of us don't know we're lost. And oftentimes things are going along just fine, uh, life's going great, and, and then something happens and we have some kind of emotional response to it that's like overpowering and we find ourselves saying, why am I responding so strongly to that specific situation? It doesn't make sense, except it makes absolute sense because God is opening our eyes and helping us become aware of the reality of our lostness. This happens to Saru. About 20 years after he's been adopted, he moves from his adoptive home in uh, Tasmania and he goes to Melbourne, Australia, where he's going to this international hotel management school. So there's students from all over the world, all kinds of countries around the world, including India. And in this class with these new stu students, he comes face to face with his past, with his childhood, with his lostness. Take a look. Did you hear it? Saru, where are you? The question that God calls out to Adam and Eve in the garden is the question that God is calling out to Saru when he sees this food, this plate of his favorite food from his childhood in India. And he starts to come out from hiding. And he starts to admit that he is lost. This question, where are you? It's not so much a question of place as it is a question of personhood. Are you connected, disconnected, reconnecting? When God asks, where are you? He's also asking, who are you? Are you living primarily out of your true self or are you living primarily out of your false self? I like the way Tim Roby, a film reviewer for a, TV, a newspaper in England, writes about this. He says, Saru could easily have settled for this comfortable, educated life in Australia with a career waiting in hotel management, but the fracturing of his identity is a dagger to the heart and he can't think of his former family without devastating remorse. It's a powerful line. The fracturing of his identity is a dagger to the heart. We all experience that fractured identity. True self, false self. This is the power of sin at work in our lives and God is at work reconnecting us. When we discover our identity is fractured, it's, it's devastating and it's also the beginning of a life of faith. For Saru, this moment causes him to begin this search to return home. And that's, that's kind of like the primary biblical metaphor. I mean, the Bible is filled with story after story of loss and return, of reconciliation and renewal. Our Bible reading for today from Jeremiah chapter 29 
It's talking about the people of Israel when they're lost in exile in Babylon and like Saru, they're longing to return home. How is that going to happen? A lot of people really like verse 11. I'm kind of partial to what happens after verse 11 when God says in verse 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me, if you search for me with everything you have, you'll find me. You'll find home. How's the search going for you? Because we all, in different ways, in different times in our lives, we find ourselves lost. We find ourselves in these places where life happens and it causes us to doubt or to question the goodness of God and it leads to this place of disconnection. One of the fascinating things to me is, is to watch the way in which like, current scientific research is catching up with what the Bible has been saying for generations. And so in fields like sociology and psychology and neuroscience and education, they're talking about how important connection is, how important early on in our life, attachment, bonding, it's so necessary for healthy development into adulthood. In the absence of that kind of bonding connection early on in life, as as adults, we start looking for connection in all sorts of other places, start attaching ourselves to things that are not good for us. This is one of the primary ways in in which addiction happens, but it's not just addiction to substances, it's addiction to all kinds of things. We'll spend all kinds of money and time and energy trying to get this connection, attaching ourselves to something we think is going to make us feel the connection that we were created for. And a lot of people experience all kinds of pain and hurt in their life as a result of attaching themselves to the wrong thing. How is your search going? What is it in your life that helps you know that you are connected to God and to his love? I like these diagrams because I have a simple mind and they're kind of helpful understanding. The one thing I don't like about them, the diagrams kind of make it look like the only one moving in this relationship is me. I move away from God and then I move back toward God. And certainly that is true. What is not true is that God is static, that God is stationary. Christianity teaches God is on the move. In the person of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God comes to us. While we are searching for God, God is also searching for us. That's, both of those things are happening in Jeremiah 29. Verse 10 says this. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, says the Lord. Then I will come, I'm on the move. I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised and I will bring you home. God's at work trying to figure out how does this connection happen. And then we get verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. The search process that we all go through, it it always lasts a lot longer than we want it to last. And so it's good to remember that God has good plans for a future and a hope while we're in the midst of our searching. And then you get to verse 14. It ends with God saying, I will be found by you. It's both. We're searching for God. We're searching for home. And God is searching for us. Saru tells his new friends, his classmates, he is lost. He tells them his story of how he got lost. And one of his classmates kind of excitedly exclaims, have you heard about this new technology called Google Earth? And he hadn't heard about it at the time. So he goes home to his apartment, gets on his computer, and for the next four years, he wholeheartedly is searching for home using Google Earth. 
He does calculations. How long was I on the train? How fast do we think the train was probably going? And his calculations have him creating a search area about 1,200 kilometers from Calcutta. The problem is his home is actually 1,600 kilometers. He spends four years searching in the wrong place. Every train track, every train station, is this the one? Is this the place? Is there the water tower? Is there the bench? He's about ready to give up when he comes to the conclusion Maybe I've just been looking for home in all the wrong places. Take a look. 